Hi, I'm Marshall. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Tumble Podcast, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. This week, we have a story about one scientist's quest to solve a mystery that could help save a tiny endangered animal, one you probably haven't heard of. I talked to Dr. Haley Gillespie, who's a good friend of ours. Yeah, I'm Haley Gillespie, and I am an ecologist, so I study the interactions between uh, organisms and their environment and organisms and other organisms. When I was a kid, I loved animals. Everyone loves animals, right? But Haley wasn't just interested in your average dog, cat, or polar bear. When she was a kid on vacation, a more unusual animal caught her eye. An animal that only lives in one park, in one city, in the entire world. What was it? The Barton Springs Salamander. So, wait, wait. What are the salamanders? I'll let Haley describe them. Their body kind of looks like a lizard. You know, they have four legs and a long tail and a head with gills on either side of their head. They're pretty long and skinny, but they're not lizards. They're amphibians. Amphibians are like frogs or toads, right? Right. They're animals that breathe through their skin, and they can live either in or out of water. And these salamanders, like I said, only live underwater. And they only live in Barton Springs, which most people in Austin think of as a swimming pool. I love going to Barton Springs. Yeah, me too. It's cool all year long because it's filled by spring water that comes up from underground. It isn't paved like most pools. It's all gross in the bottom. Some people might think it's gross, but it's a great place for plants and animals to live, including the Barton Springs salamander. So starting when she was a kid, Haley knew she wanted to study them when she grew up. And she did. She went to school to become a biologist. But I thought, well, it's been a long time since I was a kid. So surely by now, all the research has been done on the salamander. And there's not going to be anything we don't know about them. But it turns out that was totally not true. There was not very much known about them. Scientists didn't even know what these salamanders ate. Really? Are you kidding? Yeah. When you think about how to describe any animal after what do they look like, the questions are where do they live and what do they eat? So it's kind of amazing that there wasn't a good answer. Yeah, it's a really basic question in ecology and in zoology, the study of animals. What does something eat? It's a really important question because if something happens to their favorite food, the salamander might go extinct. And obviously a really easy way to answer that question would be just to watch it and see what it eats. Okay, okay, so why weren't people just watching the salamanders eat? It's just not as simple as it sounds. Like Haley said, they live under rocks, and if you go to pick up the rock while they're having dinner, they're probably going to run off, and you're not going to really see what they're eating. So, And they also go underground, like deep underground, where people can't follow them. So they're hard to watch. Yeah, it was just not a simple question to answer, and no one had studied it specifically before Haley came along. But scientists had guessed that they ate things called amphipods. So these are really tiny 
tiny, tiny, tiny cousins of the shrimps and crabs. They're really abundant in a lot of the springs where the salamanders live. And so for a long time, people kind of assumed, hey, they must eat these. They're all over the place. And another reason that people thought that they ate those was because if you look in salamander poop, you can see the exoskeleton, this hard shell of the amphipods in the poop. So people said, oh, well, this is the only thing we can really see in the poop. And there's a lot of amphipods in the springs. Therefore, the salamanders eat amphipods. But Haley had a hunch that they were eating something else, too. A scientist's hunch. Yeah, like, don't you think it's unlikely that an animal would only eat one thing? I mean, I guess so. Now that I think about it, it makes sense that they would eat more than one thing in case what they like to eat doesn't happen to be around. Yeah, so another way that scientists typically figure out what animals eat is by dissecting them and actually looking at what's in their stomachs. It's just kind of like looking at the poop, right? It's like whatever's in the stomach must be what it's, what it's eating. One problem with that is that it's just what it's eaten just now. So imagine if we looked at the contents of all of our stomachs. Well, if you eat a hamburger that night, you would have hamburger in your stomach, right? But that doesn't mean that's all you eat all the time. So one problem with that method is it just gives you a snapshot. What did it eat right before I killed it? But remember, these are an endangered species, so it's really not a good idea to catch a bunch of them and kill them and look at their stomach contents because there aren't very many of them left. And so what's the point of knowing what they eat if you just killed all of them? (laughs) That's a good point. So she couldn't watch it, she couldn't trust its poop, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to dissect a salamander. It seems like she's stuck. Almost. But Haley doesn't give up that easily. One day, she was sitting in class, and her professor mentioned another way, a way that takes a lot more work, but might show her exactly what the Barton Springs salamander was eating. Looking at these things called stable isotopes of carbon and nitrogen... So, hold on, what's that? A stable isotope? Um, it's a scientific term, obviously, and the exact definition actually doesn't really matter for this story. It's it's pretty complicated. But for the purposes of this story, just think of carbon and nitrogen as part of a unique signature, just like a handwritten signature helps you recognize people. But this is a chemical signature. Carbon and nitrogen... Um, which are present in all of our tissues. So even us right now, in our hair and our skin and all of our organs and the salad that you might have eaten for dinner, they all contain carbon and nitrogen atoms. And when we eat something, like a salad, it goes into our stomach and we digest it and we break it down into smaller and smaller molecules and then our body absorbs those molecules and rearranges it to build tissue, like to grow your hair, to grow your fingernails. And that means... So literally, you are what you eat. Well, that's cool, but so what? How does that help Haley figure out what salamanders eat? Well, you know how I mentioned carbon and nitrogen are part of a chemical signature? What I did to figure out this question of what if salamanders eat is there's this really neat technique where you can take a tissue sample, and for the salamanders, I use the tiny, tiny tip of their tails to get a tissue sample. And in that tissue sample is like this little signature of carbon and nitrogen atoms 
that can help you figure out what the salamander has eaten. It's like this unique little signature and all of the things that it had been eating, so all of the different prey items that it could possibly be eating, well, obviously they've eaten something too, and their bodies have done the same thing that our bodies do. It's taken up carbon and nitrogen from the things that it ate and used those carbon and nitrogen atoms to build their own body tissues, to build cells. So every animal or food item has its own signature, and that signature tells a story. Um, so you can follow these signatures from the very bottom of the food web, like little plants, all the way up to the top predators in an ecosystem and figure out what things have been eating by comparing the isotope signatures, the carbon and nitrogen signatures in all of the different things that the salamander might be eating with the tail tissue of the salamanders and see which ones match the most closely. So she had a way to solve the mystery. Well, it's more like she had a better way to investigate it. Just like any mystery, it's no sure thing that you can solve it. And that made Haley really anxious. It's a lot of work to, ca- you know, to catch all the salamanders. It's pretty hard because they're pretty rare. And, and of course, they're an endangered species. So you don't want to have caught all of these guys and taken a little tail clipping and stressed them out like that for nothing, like to find out that you can't answer this question. And there was more work. She also had to collect everything a salamander might eat that lives in their habitat and fits into their mouths. Then there's this whole complicated process to turn these tail tips and insects and worms into a dry powder. So she had to smash up worms? Yeah. And then you send them off to the lab where you just hope and wait. All this work comes down to just hoping and waiting? Kind of. There are only a few labs in the country that have the special equipment to do this. It's a scientific instrument that can take up a whole room, and they take these tiny, tiny samples, and they just spit out their signatures. And then... One day you get an email and it has your data in it and it's so exciting, but you're so nervous at the same time because you want to make sure that, you know, all of your prey signatures are different enough that you can tell the difference between them. Obviously, if they all had the same signature, you know, if amphipods and flatworms had the same carbon and nitrogen signatures, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. (laughs) So that wouldn't help you answer the question. You would just still be stuck with, well, it's possible they eat both of these, but we're not sure which one. So after all that work, an insect and a worm might have the same signature? I thought it was supposed to be unique. It is somewhat unique, but it's also totally possible that animals that live in the same habitat might have a very similar diet, so that would give them the same signature. Oh my gosh, so what happened? Luckily, they were different enough. That's a huge relief. I know. Can you imagine just doing all this waiting and then not knowing if they're going to be the same? So she first compared the signatures of the amphipods, those tiny little shrimp cousins, and the salamanders to figure out if her hunch was right. And they were pretty close. They were not the same. 
Um, so I knew, well, there has to be something else that they eat. They can't only eat this, because if they only ate that, their carbon signatures would be pretty much the same. Now she knew that she was looking for a signature that made up the difference between the salamanders and the amphipods. So sort of like a math problem. Exactly. So now she's able to narrow down her list of suspects. And I looked at mayflies. They didn't fit. Um, I looked at these little aquatic earthworms that look a lot like earthworms you might find in your garden. Nope, not a match. And then I finally looked at these little things called flatworms. Another name for them is planarians. They're about the size of a grain of rice. So they're invertebrates. They don't have a spine like we have, but they also don't have an exoskeleton like the amphipods have. So they didn't have any hard parts in their bodies. They're just kind of these little balloons of nutrients that are hanging out in salamander habitat. The flatworm signature matched up perfectly. They were the thing. They were the thing that helped explain what the salamanders would be eating. So, mystery solved. It was a flatworm all along. It was a tiny little flatworm all along. And they didn't show up in the poop because they don't have any bones. They were different enough from the amphipods' signatures. They helped explain, you know, what, what that missing piece was. But now what? It's nice that Haley solved a mystery, but why does it matter? That's a really good question. Remember that these salamanders are endangered. So, you know, if you're really concerned about what might happen to these salamander populations, you might want to know, you might want to also, you know, be monitoring the flatworm population as well, because that says something about the quality of the food that's available for the salamanders to eat. So what Haley is saying is that now that we know what the Barton Spring salamander really likes to eat, and by the way, she also found that salamanders prefer to eat these flatworms over the amphipods if they're given a choice. Uh, scientists now know to get nervous about those salamander survival if they don't have any flatworms around to eat. And we don't want animals to go extinct. No, that's really sad when that happens. But what's really cool about what Haley learned about her research is that even a relatively simple concept like the food web, like that chain of predator and prey, is actually this really incredible and kind of beautiful thing about the world. We know about the food web, right? I didn't really know that there are kind of these invisible patterns of carbon and nitrogen signatures and other elements too in all of us, in everything, and even in things that aren't alive, like water and rocks. Um, and they tell the story of all of the interactions happening between all of the plants and animals in the whole world. We don't see them until... You know, we can't see them visually with our eyes, but we can analyze them in the lab and answer these questions that we can never visualize. And to me, that was just, it was kind of magical. <laughs> but it has a very good scientific explanation. <laughs> So what seemed like a simple question, what do salamanders eat, 
ended up needing some serious scientific sleuthing. Being a scientist is a little like being a detective. Yeah, that makes Haley a salamander detective. Standing up for the little guy. The little guy that needs protection. Aww. So if you'd like to see some photos of the Barton Springs salamander and dive deeper into the science of Haley's discovery, visit www.tumblepodcast.com. Marshall composed our theme song, I wrote, produced, and edited this episode, and Jenny Magic is our advisor. Special thanks to Dr. Haley Gillespie and our advisory board. You can subscribe to the Tumble Podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. We really want to hear what you think. You can also listen to our show on podcast apps like Stitcher and Overcast. Thanks for joining us this week. For the Tumble Podcast, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Listen in next time because there's always more to discover.